listeners, my name is Nat Wateyatanaset. And my name is Michael Waits. Our guest today is Stefan De Bates, the founder and president of the international asset management firm Elevated Returns, which controls the Aspen and Ridges Resort in Aspen, Colorado, and other commercial properties across the world. And today we'll be talking a lot about security tokens and whether or not we're ready for the world of securitized assets. He is also a pioneer in blockchain-based real estate investing and having launched the first major commercial real estate transaction using blockchain technology back in 2018. Hi, Stefan. How are you? Hi, Nat. Hi, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you today. It's great to have you in the Panda here. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, do you want to elaborate what Panda you mean? (laughs) Yes, that beautiful Panda painting in the background. It's just, I love it. I really love it. I can't tell the whole story because it's not my story, but I just love the fact that there's a panda back there. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It's painted by Domingo Zapata. You should check him out. The guy is awesome. And the panda is awesome too. (laughs) (laughs) So Stefan, I noticed that you lived in Thailand before. Can you share with us your sort of life story before Uh, you moved back to the US? Well, actually I was born and raised in Europe, in Belgium. So I got educated there, but living in a country which is super small, you kind of make a choice after your study whether or not you're going to live there forever and see 0.01% of the world, or you make a move and you actually have a much fuller life experience. So in my case, in the early 90s, it was the booming years of the Asian tiger economies. I picked Thailand. I did a transfer through an exchange student program, and I lived there for 22 years, after which I decided it was time to see other countries. And I picked New York because at the end of the day, if you're in the finance industry and you want to see the world of finance, you're going to have to spend some time in New York at some point. So I went to New York in 2013. And last year, I decided that living in the big cities with everything we learn about COVID and pandemics is probably not the right choice. So I decided to move to Colorado, bought a home, relocate with the family and live with happy people. (laughs) Stefan, it sounds like you and I had a career that went in reverse. I worked in New York for a couple of years and then I moved to the wrong Asian country, to Japan for 22 years. Why the wrong country? Oh my God, there's so many reasons why Thailand is such a better place to live than than Tokyo. Anyway, a very interesting story. Go ahead, Nat. So after you spent some time in Thailand and spent some time in the US, you launched the world's first asset tokenization in 2018. The Sandwiches Aspen Resort was tokenized and it was called Aspen Coin. Can you tell us more about that? What was the inspiration behind that? How was the project? Let's backtrack 2012, 13, five years after the launch of Bitcoin, you had the first kind of wave where some of the smart, intelligent people were dipping into cryptocurrency, but it was still very early days. And you were pretty much associated with being a drug dealer if you had any form of exposure with Bitcoin. But came 2017, you have the second wave. You have the ICO boom, then you have all those smart people that have a feeling that we are progressing to a point of no return where digital assets are going to stay with us for a long time. 
and you have people talking about security token offering. But the problem is most of those people came from a tech background and they were trying to put deals together, but not understanding real estate or not understanding capital market. If you want to put it in layman term, it was bad deals coming to the market. Yeah. Because... The owner of an asset would say, why would I do that? The only reason I would do that is if I have a much greater price for my asset than in the traditional market. So we kind of, in 2018, 17, we kind of look and say, why don't we use one of our own assets? We don't need money, but at least we can play with one of our assets and understand what does it take to tokenize an asset and also to show the world that it can be done. There was a couple of prerequisites to that thought process. One is to make sure we surround ourselves with top-tier firm. So on the legal side, we had Clifford Chance. On the audit side, we had uh, Grant Thornton. On the transfer agent side, we were computer share. And we really assembled a team where there was no dodginess possible associated with the process. So we did that in 2018. We raised $18 million through an SEC-compliant capital raising in the U.S. So we kind of ticked the box of showing there is potential and it can be done. But truly, it was an experiment. And we learned so much during the experiment that it led me to create an environment where I say, I know what are the shortfall of the industry. Why don't I deploy my money into creating an ecosystem that's going to make it easier and more successful for others to do the same. Can you talk about some of the things that you learned when you're the first person to do a specific type of transaction, right? And coming from a finance background as well, you go in thinking you know what it's going to happen and then certain things come up and you're like, didn't think about that. But then also the idea of now that we did it, now we know we can do it. Can you just talk about those learnings as well? It's really interesting to me. Right. So the first thing is... Because remember, 2017-18, yep. the industry was in complete shambles. Complete. So even if you were doing the right things with the right advisor, you were still guilty by association. You had the word digital or crypto. And again, you were an anarchist, try to do something dodgy and scam people out. So one thing we've learned is you need to operate in jurisdiction that are already embracing the trend. And in 2018, the U.S. was not embracing the trend. So there was, and still today, it's questionable. Yep. So you are facing questions where people don't say yes and don't say no. They just don't answer you. <laughs> right, like because they don't have to, and that's the easiest position. So one thing we've learned is don't lose faith. If you think you're going to do something in one month, multiply by 10, and make sure that you stick to your guns. And when something doesn't make sense, you, you keep saying, listen, I want this to happen in that shape because it's needed. What we've learned, we've learned that there's a couple of elements to be the successful plan in digital asset. One, find a jurisdiction which embrace technology innovation. Make sure the regulator is on board with your plan. Make sure that the assets you use have an appeal to the marketplace. Because I know some people have tokenized warehouse in Philadelphia, but... Right, but who cares? It's Philadelphia, first of all, so... <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, talking level sexiness is like minus 10. 
and D, make sure you control all the elements of the deal. So you need to be an owner so that you can dictate pricing. Because let's face it, when you do one of the first deal or one of the first 10 deals, if you want to do 100 of these, you're going to want to make sure that people make money out of the first 10. Exactly. And if you don't control asset pricing because you're not an owner, forget it. People will dump you assets at 50% above market, and then you're pushing bad deals to the market. So yeah. when you look at those false elements, pawn back to Bangkok. There was a regulation, 84% internet banking penetration in Thailand. Yep. That tells you people embrace technology, as you know. We own the assets, and the regulator really wanted to play with us. What pain points uh, did you see when you started out with this as a tokenization idea? Because a lot of this you can do, not a lot of this, but transforming real estate into asset for trading can be done using other types of financial instruments, right? Like real estate investment trusts and others. What's the difference between the existing solution versus the tokenized assets? I'm talking about potential versus a technology that is set in stone. So people always ask me and say, why AspenCon is not a read? And I say, well, it could be a read. In fact, this structure is a read. So what's the difference? The difference is the flexibility. What is a digital asset? A digital asset is a token that you can self-custody in your own wallet that you can use for leveraging your portfolio. You're in control of the token, and therefore you can use the token in, in a multiverse type of environment. If you look at the rechair, the rechair sits in a custodian, needs to trade on a capital market, on an exchange. And listen, let's face it, we're in 2021 today. I'm trying to transfer shares from my Thai broker to the US broker. Impossible. Later, <laughs> they're still talking about it. And if I had a digital token sitting in the wallet, what I would do is I would paste my wallet of my Coinbase account and I would do a transfer of my token and it would take half a second. What I'm saying here is tokenization achieves a couple of things. Number one, it's eventually going to democratize the real estate investing world. So that means Mr. Joe Smith can be a partner in the synergies aspect or another trophy asset. But more importantly, it will enable real estate-backed form of currencies, which means I own my token, I move it, that's my bank account, I can borrow against, I can pay in certain businesses with it, and I think that's the true future. Isn't it also the case, and again, I could be wrong here, but isn't it also the case that REITs have very specific rules and regulations that govern them, and that the token itself can have pretty much any rules that you want it to have built into the token itself, which adds another layer of flexibility that a REIT can't have because there's already an infrastructure of regulations around it that aren't going to change. Is that fair? Totally. And, and then one more element, if you look at the U.S. capital market, I mean, we try to do single asset read. They just don't work because no. the cost of structuring are too high. Too high, yeah. And so when you buy a read, you're not even buying assets. You're buying investment strategy of a fund manager. Right. And you can look at the read portfolio today and think you buy this, and then tomorrow it's completely different. So. There's no transparency and it's not single asset based. 
Yeah, and REITs are also structured like indices, which means that properties can go in and out. And as a REIT holder, you have no say over what goes in or out of that index that gives you the return on the REITs. Can I ask you one more thing? Do you think that the most important thing about the tokenization of this Aspen property was just the fact that you did it and proved that it could be done? Yeah, I mean, it's all... I mean, first of all, people did extremely well because the token, when we list them a year ago, got listed in COVID times at 30% above the offering price. We've already paid a combine of 12% dividend. We're going to pay more dividend very soon. So people have done well, but truly it's an experiment and we keep improving. So I'll give you an example, Mike. We decided last year that if you're a token holder of our tokens, you should be treated as a true owner into the property. Right. Yep. So if you say on property and you show your statement showing that you own a certain number of tokens, I'm going to give you cash back when you stay with us, up to 50%. So somebody has a million tokens, he comes and stays Christmas, New Year, he spent $300,000 on property because that's what it's going to cost you to stay during that period, he shows us the bill, we wire back 150000 to him because we treat him as an owner. Right. We have special perks for owners. So when you come on property, you have a goodie bag, you feel important. So you have the commercial return, you have the cash flows, and you have a true sense of ownership through our owner's privilege program. So on the back end, do they actually own the property? they own a share into the company that owns the property. So effectively, the answer is yes, they have direct ownership into the property. So we own, we create a REIT structure where you have a ownership tenant and then a TRS. And so they own the true ownership into the, the company that owns the hotel. Yeah. Can I, and this is a little bit technical, but again, just something that really interests me. So I'm a part owner in like the fourth largest second tier mall ownership company in the United States. It's private. We buy second tier malls at very low value. We, we don't renovate them, but it's just a, it's a really good business. It throws off a ton of cash. And I've thought for the longest time about tokenizing it. Now, I'm really curious about, and you've done this obviously for assets all over the place. And I've asked people about this and I've never gotten a great answer, but I'm sure you have the answer. What is that process like? If I own, you can use a single property, just exactly like what has to happen to get this done. So you're 100% on the right track here. And we're going to be a little bit philosophical about real estate investing for just about two minutes. Go for it. <laughs> Typically in real estate, you own or you don't. Right. Which means if you want to cash in on your equity portion of it, you're going to have to sell the whole thing because nobody wants to be a minority partner into a private asset. Let's face it. What tokenization does, it creates a sub-market for a portion of an asset. So in our case, we only tokenize 19% of the property. So oh. 90% is freely tradable. 81% is in the form of OP units that belongs to us. Got it. And it's non-tradable. So what it does for an owner like us, it creates a price discovery on the equity portion. It also, if you read the news, I've, get to the, I've done a deal with the amazing people at BlockFi, yep. you can actually 
buy the token and go and ask them for a loan against the token. They're going to give you that. It creates a real monetizable asset for the owner. The process is very simple. Someone has to underwrite the cash flow and say, okay, so if we tokenize, what is the expected return? What is the implied valuation? If it makes sense and we think that there is a market, then what we would do, we would write a prospectus, not dissimilar to a REIT. We will explain effectively the economics and the technology. And then we would sit with the owner and say, what other flexible perks you want to add to it? Let's say if it's a mall operator, we're discussing right now in Asia, we're going to tokenize portion of their assets, but they will allow people to pay in the shop inside the mall using that asset. So that becomes a true utility kind of worst case scenario, I'm going to spend my way out of my token. Right. And I think this is where it becomes super, super interesting. And this is where we open the door of collateralized money. I think people have no idea about the potential of that in the future. I think we'll talk about it later, but replacing fiat with digital fiat like Bitcoin does, to me, doesn't make much sense. But to change fiat with a new form of appreciating currency, I think that's going to be world changing. And this is so Hmm. interesting. And again, tell me where I get this wrong. So in the old days, the US dollar used to be based on the gold standard, right? So that was the asset that backed the currency. Obviously, Bretton Woods took everybody out of that. But what you're saying is that gold now is not the only asset that can be tokenized and that can be collateralized so that literally I could collateralize my car, my house, or anything, or a pool of assets could be collateralized to create money that actually has real value. And if you'd collateralize money on like real estate in New York, it would have gone up in value naturally. Is this what you're suggesting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the problem with what we think money would eventually go to is form of instrument that are collateralized by economic activity. And it doesn't need to be asset. It can be right to use. For instance, we all know today that in our life, we're going to spend 20% of our income in education, 30% of our income in lodging, 25% in food and beverage. You should be able to buy something that track your future spend so that you lock your purchasing power versus what you're going to spend in the future. Exactly. Money depreciate all the time. That's how governments steal from the people. By definition. Right? You create inflation. This is why it's the right time to create collateralized form of asset and to develop what we call asset for payment. If you do that, then that means that the money cannot get devalued because if the assets that back it are going up in value, if there's inflation there, this by definition has to be inflated as well. If not at the same level, at some small discount to that. And if you can run a discounted future cash flow model on the assets you think you're going to buy in 10 years, you can come up with at least an estimated value of what that's going to be based on other factors. And then you know what you want to collateralize today to make sure that you can buy your healthcare, your food, your car, what your kid's education 20 years from now, right? That's exactly right. And by the way, we, we are about to launch a couple of programs that would do exactly that. One is... I call it prepaid perpetual room rights, which is you fix today the cost of an ADR into a pool of hotel. Right. And that is a perpetual instrument that you can pass on to your next three generations. 
And a room ride will always be a room ride. So effectively, you hedge your cost of holidays by buying these. We have another program called the Bite. What it does, it creates also a pool of restaurant and it gives you the right to a certain meal. You can do with the flight, yeah? You can do with the flight. And I think that at first people say, that's a crazy idea, Stefan. You know, you should stop spending too much time in Colorado. Not good for you. But <laughs> <laughs> and smoking so much weed. <laughs> but the reality is that is the ultimate consumer funding for businesses. Because face it, at the end of the day, a bank only offer cash flow to mismatch the collection from consumer. Exactly. If you take the bank out of the equation and you refinance the airline by pre-selling seeds, perpetual seeds in those planes, you don't need a bank. No. There is so much potential and people will embrace that because it will create a straight line between the service provider and the future user of the service. So is it also the case that there's no more oil shocks? Do you know what I mean? In other words, if my currency is based on the value of oil and oil inflates because of some embargo or some silliness, well, then my money, if it's, if it's collateralized by the oil or the petroleum, just goes up in the same value. So in a way, it's like, I don't care. If everyone buy, let's say, a gasoline token, you're 100% right. What's going to happen? You're still going to have people. But that's their problem though, right? Is their problem. That's yeah. not my problem. If I buy the oil token and the other tokens that I need, I mean, American Airlines tried this about 15 or 20 years ago. They said, we'll give you a free first class airline ticket if you give us $250,000 for the rest of your life. And people are like, done, 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 as many as you can sell me kind of thing. That's right. And, and I think today you have the technology to actually implement that. Yeah. You have point of sale payment, you have self custody of asset, you have trackable instruments. So the problem was in the past without blockchain technology and validation, people would come up with something. You had no way of knowing whether or not that was genuine or not. Right, right, right. Now you can do real-time verification. You can run cap tables based on the blockchain information. So I think the technology is there. I think it scares government because it decreased the power. But I think, you know, I'm for the people, by the people, power to the people. And I think people will demand to hedge their future wealth. And I think cash will become worthless. I always go on stage and say something that Tim Draper said three years ago. Five years from now, only criminal will be using cash. Exactly. Alex Mashinsky said the same thing in Paris a couple of years ago. So same, same. Stefan, how do you actually overcome the liquidity problem? Because I imagine that for these tokens to have price discovery, you need investor to be trading it and buying and selling the tokens all the time, right? For, for the token to find its price. I imagine not a lot of investors know about this asset class yet, but how do you overcome this problem of liquidity and bring them into the, the space? Yeah, I mean, when people ask me, what are the pain points? I say there are four pain points. It's liquidity, 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 and liquidity. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people ask me, what's the weather like in Thailand? And I'm like, hot, hotter, hottest. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> that's an amazing analogy, by the way. So what do you do about it? First, one of the reasons why liquidity is a problem, it's because in the US today, it is construed as a security. And therefore, you are bound by the 1933 Securities Act. And that means you need to exchange communication, 
through a certain system. You cannot solicitate. You cannot advertise. I mean, we all know the chambers of the US SEC. On one hand, you have Elon Musk manipulating prices through Twitter. But if you're a small operator and you say any word outside, you get fined or thrown into jail. So one of the problems is how do you deal with this asset class so that you can promote it? So one way to overcome that, and that's what we're going to launch in Thailand, is you need to create a use for the token. You need to create a utility attached to it so that if you have a utility attached to it, you can always have a price for it because somebody's going to arbitrage the cost of buying a service versus as paying for the service using the token. So by creating a need, a utility, you're going to have a natural secondary market liquidity. So example, you know, if I was saying you own an Aspen coin and that gives you 20% discount on your stay at the Synergies, if Marriott was allowing people to pay with Aspen coin, which might be something in the future, then people will say, okay, I'm going to stay there. I can either pay in cash and it's going to cost me $2,000 or I can buy the token and use the token for payments, going to cost me $1,600. Right. Guess what's going to happen? Everybody's going to go and buy the token. Which means the ARB's mm. going to close, right? And the ARB's going to close. And then the ARB's going to be, let's say, 3 to 5% discount, which is the friction pain. And say, right. okay, for 5%, I'll go and open an account and buy and transfer money. For 2%, I'd rather pay cash because I can't be bothered. So I think that one smart way, to add liquidity is to create a hybrid instrument that has utility function to it. The second one is to stick to your guns, to increase the size of the asset class, to work in jurisdiction where the regulator is happy to see you successful, and eventually size matters, and people will over time get uh, seduced by the asset class. So one strategy is to be smart about it and create implied liquidity. The other one is to increase the size of the asset class. Isn't it also the case that particularly in a, in a case like in Aspen, where you did this 8119 structure, if the tokens themselves aren't trading or if they're trading below value, the owner of the property can actually go out and buy the token to make sure that, because the, there's an ARB there as well, right? That the value of the token should reflect with some discount the value of the property. And that if it doesn't, you can just go out and buy it like you'd buy back your own stocks in the market if you thought they were undervalued. So I don't know if you've been spying on my emails, but that's the exact email that I sent to T0, which is the marketplace of Aspen Con. I say, I'm an insider. <laughs> I see offers that I think are too attractive. What are the restrictions for an insider to go and buy back the tokens? Right. And what about your vision for Xpring Capital in Thailand? I'm so grateful that we committed our money into that company. It was at the time called Simico Securities. We quietly acquired all the digital license that the Securities Exchange Commission in Thailand was offering. We found an amazing chairman of the board, Dr. Ratien. He runs the largest credit card company, Kruntai Card, and it's a true bona fide expert in financial services and marketing of financial services. And the vision is very simple. We want to be the Amazon of financial product. So we want to be a marketplace it doesn't matter if you're old world, new world, you have one point of contact and you have access to any form of financial assets under one umbrella. Let's face it, nobody wants to have six relationships. 
in financial products. You don't want to have a relationship with Coinbase on crypto and then BlockFi on leverage and then Wells Fargo for your mortgage and JP Morgan for your banking and uh, Charles Schwab on securities. And then you need to move around your assets and you can't have a single wallet collateralization portfolio. Xpring Capital now has a total of 21 licenses. Hmm. both in the traditional world and digital world. And I truly believe that in Asia, or maybe in the world, we're the only company in that situation. So we use an old broker-dealer securities company. We add up all the digital element, and we now consolidate the single point of contact marketplace. We just finished a 225 million capital raise. 60% of that was done through strategic placement strategic partner, and the rest was a right offering to existing shareholder. It was oversubscribed. It is now, when we invested into it, it was a $60 million market cap. It's now $1.2 billion. And it goes to show that people truly believe in digitization of financial product. And I feel lucky because I have a token that's actually <laughs> collateralized by the value of that company. So in my case, it's the value stayed the same. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's what people do, right? They they basically look at the trend, they gain exposure super early. And in my humble opinion, I think that the 2000 years where, you know, anything that was taken social media, I think 2020 and above will be the next 10 years will be financial revolution, prop tech, and it will all have a blockchain element to it. Absolutely. I mean, I guess the real question is how far behind what you're doing is Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and some of these other large global financial services firms? Have they caught on already to the point where they're going to catch up or do you think you can displace some of them? Okay, so, so the difference in 2017, Jamie Dimon say any yeah. trader on my desk that trade Bitcoin should be fired. fired yeah. Today, JP Morgan is about 350 people on their blockchain desk. But then the true question that you're asking is... Can big company cannibalize themselves from within or do they need to acquire your company doing it outside? I truly believe that for all HR reason and philosophical, you never cannibalize yourself from within. So I think that what you're going to get, you're going to see people like Coinbase, like Bitco, like NYDYG, Xprint Capital becoming acquisition target for the big banks in the future. And the question will be, do you get acquired or do you displace them and force them to become irrelevant? Do you think you need the regulations to change in order for this to be widely used and adopted by investors? Yes and no. I think that in places like Thailand, I think that the regulation is pretty there. We work a lot, by the way, with regulator. I think that there's going to have to be some improvement and they're going to have to open their eyes about what's truly going on. But beyond that, I think they're in a good place. What you need to do is you need to be in a position where the regulator really enforce regulation has design. And I think it's going to happen in 2021, 2022, even in the US. The biggest bullish signal for the whole industry was the fact that in the infrastructure bill of Joe Biden, they included crypto taxation. And people say, oh my God, they're going to tax crypto. I need to sell my Bitcoin. I say, you got it all wrong. <laughs> Today, I'm going to tax Bitcoin. You need to buy more. 
exactly. Because you can only tax something that you let exist. Right. You cannot tax something deemed illegal. Right. They're not taxing cocaine, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that the regulator is going to put a line in the sand and say, if you do this, you can operate. If you don't do this, you're going to be in trouble. And the year 2021, 2022 will be enforcement year. And what's the landscape look like on the regulatory side between Southeast Asia, Europe and US? Do you find Southeast Asia to be more supportive than others? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's really, well, let's face it, right? The Western economies, political, whatever you name it, everything seems to be on the decline. And I think that for financial market, Asia sees embrace basically technology. And that's why you have 84% internet penetration, banking internet penetration in countries yep. like Thailand. In the US, it's 37%. What's going to happen is because those structure that we're putting together are effectively global structure, unless the US and the mature market embrace retroactively the same regulation, they're going to lose their shine on the control of capital market. So I think Asia is in a super strong place right now. They should stay on the path and assets are global. Don't forget that, especially if they're tokenized. And I think what's going to happen is, like always, the U.S. is keeping an eye. And by the way, the new SEC chairman in the U.S., Gary Gensler, truly understand crypto economics. So he's not stupid. He's one of the best person you could see as being chairman of the SEC. And no doubt he's going to watch what's happening in Thailand, Singapore, Japan, Korea. And if he sees that the trend is clear and is well regulated, you're going to see a fast track of regulation change in the US. And that's going to be a benchmark for the rest of the world as well? I don't know. I don't believe in benchmark. I think the, the benchmark is the market. You know, the market will go where they can operate. Well, yep. One thing we've seen today with companies like Binance, etc., they become so big because they capture a global demand. Mm -hmm. And then the regulator needs to find out and say, do I shut down Binance? Because they are too big to be messed up with. And this is why I, I truly believe that what we see right now is power to the people. Yeah, People are forcing change in regulation, not the other way around. And you're going to see an explosion or an implosion of all the cartel monopoly of Wall Street, etc. So is the world ready for STO? And if not, what do we need for that to happen? That's my last question for today. I hope it's ready because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm just about to do. <laughs> I don't like wasting my time, but I truly believe that once you've got a total market size of, let's say, a billion plus, and people have done well, and more and more people understand how can you use an open source token to increase your own business? And I'm using this idea of utility attach. I'm throwing out there the concept of asset for payment, asset for membership. Rather than use cash, you actually in the future is going to use asset for payment. Truly, that's how the world started. You know, the only reason we invented money is because people could not connect and the barter economy collapsed because of a lack of connection capability. But in 2021, with this token, you can go back in universal barter economies and people will require 
collateralized token. Because you're going to have the choice and say, I can gamble on Dogecoin with nothing backing it up, or I can have all the elements of Dogecoin, but have the Empire State Building as a collateral value. Which one do you think people would take? Yeah, it's not a choice. I've got another question for you, if you don't mind. During times of any sort of economic or industrial or any kind of sort of informational transition, the world, and I'm going to simplify, right, just to make the point, just to make it easier, but the world bifurcates, right, between those that know and those that don't know, those that have the information and those that don't have the information. And particularly in Southeast Asia, there is a concern about financial literacy and also financial inclusion. How does this help? Like the inclusion part, I I kind of understand because it's the people have the power, but they have to know that they have the power. So is there a risk that the world bifurcates even more from a wealth to non-wealth perspective? Because again, to most people, understanding asset-backed money sounds very confusing, right? You know, we were in the financial markets for years, all three of us, right? So we just know what an asset-backed security is. We know that. But for somebody like running a warung in you know, a small town in Indonesia, they're already struggling to understand how the financial world works. Is this going to make it harder for them or over time is it going to make it easier for them? I think it's make it easier because let's face it, the finance world today is completely elitist. Even if you want to go to ownership or speculation on key assets, yep. you either need to be a billionaire, a friend of a billionaire, or have billions, right. right? Let's face it. Otherwise, you have a shitty deal and you're being sold something and you hope and you're being utilized by the system. If you create something that appreciates directly with an asset you can verify, value, and you can actually spend this for your every day, buying for your bread, paying for your car. I believe in people. I think they will understand somebody is going to have cash and his bread costs 20 baht today. Tomorrow is going to be 200 baht. He's going to say, oh my God, bread is expensive. The other guy is going to have a bread token and say, I pay one, I get one. Right. Forever. Yeah, forever. So I believe people will get it. We just need to push the product. We need to be humble start with a small ecosystem of redemption, and then it grows a snowball effect. But I believe people will get it. You know, people have no clue the type of hyperinflation that's going to hit us in the face in the next two years. Inflation is not transitionary. It's going to be ugly. I predict next year we're looking at 15 to 20%. Some people that I know are betting on 25 to 40%. Can I give you a little bit of anecdotal evidence? Before I got on this call, I was talking to a friend of mine who runs like one of the largest hoagie franchises in Philadelphia. Here we are back in Philly again. And he said he can't run his stores now because a pound of roast beef has gone from $4.75 to $6.50. This is from a chat literally three minutes before this call. And he expects it to be $7 by next week. He said he can't hire anybody. And that his supplier, this is really what he said. He said his supplier doesn't have access to 25% of their SKUs because they can't afford them. I live in Colorado. A gallon of, of gasoline for my car was 340 two months ago. It's 590 right now. Yeah. And steel yeah. is up 29%. Chicken is up 45%. And it's only the start. It's only the start. That's what people do not understand. Inflation is like a bad leak in a house. Yeah. It's dripping and you don't see it. And before you know, 
it's pouring and you don't know where it comes from. We talk to suppliers at the hotel, right? Right. And here is the problem of inflation. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. People talk about inflation, so people are building inflation forecast into the budget and they raise the price just to stick with their forecast. Correct. And it's never-ending spiral. I mean, and you're so right. Once you raise the price, you're never going to drop the price back. You're never going to drop the price. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. I could go on, but I think we should probably let you go. (laughs) Thank you so much, Stefan, for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for being here. You know, anytime you guys rock. Thank you. 